good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Capital Sports 2.0. It is the 21st of March. Um, a lot of things happening in the world of sports. We have to be kind of careful with some of the things we're saying because, because well, respect for, for people who passed on. So what are we going to cover today in the show? Well, we have a lot of football news. Uh, UEFA are going to make a decision, or I should say a recommendation of how to finish leagues because they want everything done and dusted uh, by the end of August so they can start their Champions and Europa League uh, campaigns. What else have we got? We also have uh, Arsenal have taken a 12.5% pay cut, both players and coaches. So that's not so bad. Again, a lot of questions are, is that money going back to the club to help pay other people or are they donating? Well, it seems like it's going straight back into the club. Um, what else can we say? Well, the NFL draft is coming up on Thursday. So that's a couple of days away. We're going to have a look at that with uh, Alex B. He's there for us. He'll be covering it live. And of course, on Thursday, or should we Thursday, yeah, we will have uh, Jonathan Higgins to have a good chat about that as well. But right now, we're focusing on Alex B. Of course, the Turkmen and Tajikistan leagues were in action this past weekend. Double N is going to cover that for us. Well, we know Cheltenham was bad. But also, Liverpool playing Atletico Madrid also could have had some effects on the rate of coronavirus uh, cases. It's like slap your forehead or face palm because we all know it's true. But of course, uh, we can kick Cheltenham, but we won't kick football. But there we go. Um, one sad piece of news uh, that's it's always hard to try and bring this uh, to the public. Um, a 22-year-old defender, uh, locomotive Moscow player, when he plays for Kazanka, the reserve team in the third division, in Okenti Samofalov, um, passed away yesterday. He dropped dead at home. He's doing a workout uh, on his own. Uh, suspected heart failure. Now, I met Inokenti a number of times. I actually did a, a Gaelic football session with him. Uh, nice guy, big, tall, strong lad, committed to his workouts, never looked like he was going to break into the top level at local, but again, at 22 years of age as a defender, he was still relatively young. Questions remain about it around his death. It was a home workout, they call it, because a lot of players are now in more in isolation and allowed to train together. We've spoken with this many times in the show, and I've written about this and spoken with this, that the amount of young athletes dropping dead in order to keep up or to keep their careers going on a professional level is frightening. Our hearts and prayers go out to his wife and child and his parents and relatives, his friends. Um, but again, I think we need to have a serious discussion somewhere down the line in the very, very near future about the amount of pressure put on young men and women's bodies to try and stay at the very, very top. Because we see... You know, we've spoken about it in football, American football, in wrestling, in ice hockey. People doing what they can to go to the next level, and they're all dropping dead. Yesterday, an announcement made that one Irish rugby player, a Munster player, James Cronin, was banned for one month for a doping, inadvertent doping, where he went in to ask in the chemist for, um, I think it was sort of, sort of painkillers, and then was handed by accident a prescription drug. It was found in the system, he had no prescription, no excuse for it, and of course, he failed his test. Players are doing this left, right, and centre. We have to try and have a bit of a discussion about whether it's all worth it. Okay, so again, to uh, Inakinti Sound Follows family, our thoughts and prayers go to you all. We're going to move on with the show very, very quickly uh, and start. Well, we're going to say hello to everybody. So, uh, Double N, you are back from Ashbagat. How are you doing? Yeah, I have a little bit of difficulty with uh, connection. Yeah, loud and clear. Okay, we're going to go back to you in just a moment for the Turkmen Tajik uh, roundup. Andrew Flinton, to you men, fresh from the shower. How are you doing? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. How are you doing, Gavin? Very good indeed. Okay. 
And Alex B is at the NFL draft. Well, he's at last oh, year's man. draft, but we'll let him away with that. <laughs> so. I'm at this year's draft, Alan. I don't know what you're trying to do here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cap- Capital FM has been gracious enough to send me over, and of course, conjunction with Katie O'Shea's but <laughs> have sent me down here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So he's traveled across the country uh, from San Francisco to Connecticut. To Bristol, Connecticut, to cover up for us. Okay, so we're going to kick off straight away with the uh, big football news from this past weekend. The Turkmen Yokari Liga kicked off this past weekend. Uh, Double N, who did the, the reigning champions today win, and who is top of the table after one round of games? So yeah, uh, as you told, Turkmenistan League is now Yokari League is going on, and uh, as we know, uh, it's kicked off, resumed again on Sunday with a very hot clash of relatively big uh, teams, which is Altinasir, which is reigning champion, and Kopetdak, which used to be champion like six times in history. So two goals were scored and they, sh- they were shared between the teams. And uh, it's, it was a draw. And another match were, held, were played on Monday. So uh, two teams from Ashgabat won, which is uh, Ashgabat, named after the city, and Ahal. They won 1-0 and 2-0 respectively. And uh, the last game was between Nevici and Energetic. So my team Energetic from Mare, from my region, one to one. So how about in Tajikistan? Have you got news from there? Some games played in Tajikistan. The game we previewed, we, which is between Istiklal and Hatlan. So as you know, Istiklal was, was having great momentum until that match, which ended as a draw again. Oh. So, yeah, after that game, yeah, they still they still are like on the top of the league, but uh, they now share the same amount of points with Hatlan, which they played like recently. Dublin, I mentioned at the top of the show about the Arsenal players and of course Mikel Arteta, the coach who got coronavirus. Uh, they're all taking a twelve and a half percent pay cut. Is that fair? Do you think? I don't know, like why the spotlight was focused on footballers, especially on footballers, because there are so many players, there are so many rich people around. Why should only footballers get paid, as Andrew said last on the last episode? That, that actually makes sense, but if they are doing this voluntarily, like if they came into consensus and if they agreed to that, I say why not? Like It's also team spirit. It's also like if they unite around this in this hard time around this good cause why not I mean no that's fair enough that, that is fair enough Andrew being you in on that 12.5% pay cost take mm. uh, in order to support the other workers within the club uh, first club to do it in England do you think it's um, it's a good thing or bad thing will it set a trend I think it's probably like to set some sort of a trend I'm not saying I think every club in the league will follow but Look, a slightly negative side of this is that I, I think a lot of clubs try to point score. Oh, look at us, aren't we doing such a good job? It's only 12.5%, which I think is, well, that must surely be ample to um, to support the non-playing staff in the squad. So if that's what it's for, I, I don't see any problem with that at all. It's entirely up to the clubs and the players. Although I, I did read that there are two or three players who are not committing to this just yet. Um, Meza Ozil has... Um, said he's not he's not 100% um, convinced it's the right way to go about it now I'm I'm not trying to pick him out as a bad apple in this group if anything 
I've said all along, I actually don't think pay cuts is the way forward, but donations are. Um, it's not that difficult to arrange as a group, have the captain of the club say, right, come on, guys, you, you can do without 10%. We'll do it ourselves because it comes across much better from a PR standpoint. There's no point in avoiding it. There is some PR to it, but also it helps. Anyway, I think overall, it's, yeah, I, I don't see any problem with it at all. I think it's, I mean, it's a good proactive thing to do. Now, of course, we do know that a lot of this is coming down to whether they qualify for Champions League football and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. it's, it's related to bonuses and performance bonuses. So it's uh, the footballing equivalent of KPIs. Um, if we're looking at that right now and your clubs can take this, there's a lot of clubs who are not going to play in Europe. They're, you know, staying in the Premier League is just about enough for them. Um, with UEFA coming in today with their recommendations... Mm-hmm. This could have a big bearing on what clubs do because if they say, look, this is not going to happen or there's going to be no Champions League, a lot of players are going, well, hold on, screw this, I'm not going to take a pay cut. Well, absolutely. And I, and I think um, I think any argument for closing the season early is, is ridiculous because it's just going to cause far more problems than simply delaying until a safe point. Nobody for a second should advocate... Uh, starting leagues before it's safe to do so. Whatever the conditions may be, we've seen that the Bundesliga is penciled in start of the 9th of May because they've taken the precautions to get enough testing ready. I'm not saying that's the way forward. I think realistically it isn't in the UK, especially because there's a, a horrific shortage of testing and it just wouldn't be feasible. I, I don't know. I think um, I think UEFA's meeting today could be, like you say, very critical. Okay. Um, I doubt they're going to give concrete guidelines but they will advise at best and just before we go on to anything else um alex b uh players taking 12 and a half percent pay cuts you know have has actually that happened in north american sports like in nba or nhl for example oh uh, well not in sports leagues where they have contracts that are obligated to play they get play they get paid for the minutes that they spend playing the same thing with like fighters and wrestlers they only get like paid for the time that they dedicate towards playing. Uh-huh. So for like all that other stuff, right? They don't for like training and all that stuff. They don't get paid. So okay, so it's a, a different thing. Okay, thank you for that's that's a good insight. The Chinese Super League is talking about restarting quite soon. The Wuhan team has returned home after 104 days in exile. They were in a training camp in Spain. They were transiting back through Germany when everything shut down, and they had to spend a long time in Germany. Then they came back to Shenzhen in China, quarantined for I think three weeks. Of their start, they've just come back to Wuhan to see their families. Uh, Andrew, if the Chinese are going to start back up football, I mean, that does put pressure on other clubs because the money that they, those clubs have and can spend could mean a lot of players mm. would say, hold on, I'm packing my bags and going to China. I, I, don't, I don't think it would put too much pressure on UEFA specifically, but I do think, again, it's, it's, the, it's almost like an image race. You know, if, if the Chinese are... Um, Chinese Super League are prepared enough to to do this. It, it does make a lot of other leagues say, "Well, well, okay, perhaps you've got stories leaking out. The Bundesliga is about to start. We've got, like we've mentioned, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Belarus still continuing. Not everybody's happy in every case, but there are leagues still coming. And if leagues start filtering back into action, it'll put it will put pressure on because the stakeholders want this to happen." the leagues want the games to go through so that they can fulfil their contracts and don't have their payments cut like we've seen in League 1. So, 
I don't, I think it, it could potentially be the start of a domino effect to other leagues. I don't think it will affect UEFA directly in this individual case, but it might just start a chain reaction that could pressure some leagues into restarting. It would be interesting to see. The, the announcement that there was a, a, an interesting hypothesis to be made of a link between um, the amount of coronavirus uh, cases in Liverpool compared to the rest of the country and linking that to last month's uh, Liverpool Athletic Madrid game. Of course, the game took place on the 11th of March. Over 52,000 people were there. Uh, 3, 000, around 3,000 came in from Spain, which, of course, was already in lockdown. From Madrid was in lockdown at the time. Uh, you know, it's like the, the government's deputy chief scientific advisor, Angela McLean, uh, she said that it warranted further investigation. This is not just um, closing the stable door after a horse is bolted. This is just setting fire to the stable, isn't it? It's stating the obvious that there must be some link. Um, but it, it's so unquantifiable, all of this. People want quantified answers, and it just isn't going to happen. You, there's no way you can track every single incident of coronavirus because we just simply don't know where it is. But I think it is a relatively obvious point that allowing that game to go ahead when Madrid, the city, was in a lockdown is is beyond stupidity. It's irresponsible, reckless, and you could even go further with the responsibility over human lives. And it, we, you may, we've mentioned before about the, the, the Cheltenham Festival that was allowed to go ahead in the UK with a quarter of a million people over a four-day span, many of them coming from and returning to Ireland and, and other parts of the UK. That was idiotic, but so was this. I mean, you know, we've seen um, in Bergamo, one of the worst-hit cities in, in Europe, uh, where they had some horrific cases, they uh, there were over forty thousand people at an Atalanta game, a Champions League game against Valencia, and Valencia had asked not to travel, and now Spain and Italy have had a horrific number yeah. of deaths and and infected cases. It doesn't take a scientist to work that out. It's not no. an interesting theory. It's it's bare facts laid in front of you. Yeah, and I, 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 I've, I've not bought this at all of like, well, we didn't know at the time and it was difficult to know. We didn't have all the facts. That's just pure nonsense because we did know, we did have the facts. Look, I can make a very, very simple comparison and I'm, all, I'm always kind of like, well, I'll, I'll equally kick and praise uh, many things here in Russia at the same time. For example, even within our university, we knew what was coming down the line and gradually started to move to, towards a lockdown, you know, from telling students mm-hmm. that maybe you should look to go home, maybe you should look to do this. We could see it coming down because anyone with a brain uh, who had any sort of like even just simply English language knowledge could see what was coming in from abroad and started to take steps. So we did it from gradually closing down our, our dormitories to moving people mm. to safer places, to becoming very, very tight lockdown. Now, of course, a lot of people weren't happy, you know, well, me included, because it was like, look, I want to still be able to work and so on. I want to go to the office. Why is all this happening? But I, I could understand, and I still can understand. So it, it is that kind of like, a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work this out. So um, I'm sorry, like whatever the excuses are, no, like, you know, people now saying, or this past weekend, oh, yeah, well, the game shouldn't have gone ahead. We shouldn't have traveled. We knew then. We knew then. I was telling people here in Moscow, the Moscow Sharmers, don't train, don't have this. Clubs, in fairness, Local Team Moscow turned around and said, oh, yeah, well, you can rent it out now for cheaper. You can rent the field, come on in and train. It's like, no. Like, you know, no one's allowed to train anywhere else. But anyway, 
even actually, by the way, just uh, the Prague Shamrocks uh, GA, even though they uh, Prague has lifted restrictions uh, to a great degree, uh, the Prague Shamrocks said there's still no training. You can, if you train on your own, that's fine, but there's no formalized training, there's no meetings because they are very aware of this spreading. Okay, they've taken the lead from Ireland, and we're trying to do that. Okay, so on Thursday, uh, I think it'll be Friday morning, our time here, the start of a bumper weekend of American sports begins. And it's not beginning where it was supposed to be, but it's going to take place online. And we have one guy covering it for us, of course, it's Alex B, uh, who has traveled there at our expense, and KJ O'Shea's, as he mentioned. Um, yeah. The NFL draft, the biggest event, and it is the the best event because we all want to know who's going to go number one. The number one pick is with the absolutely horrendous Cincinnati Bengals. That's actually Esau Cody's team. Oh, they're, they're awful, awful team. They had the number one pick. So the worst team gets the first pick. <laughs> and now this comes out to, as Alex B explained before to us, tanking, where you deliberately lose in order to get a higher uh, rating. Now, the proposed, right. the expected number one pick is Joe Burrows, the absolutely superb quarterback from uh, Louisiana State University, who, of course, they uh, won the uh, college championship last year. Um, Alex B, where is it all going to take place? How is it going to happen? And uh, what should we expect from this year? I mean, yeah, as you said, it is, a, it is obviously a huge event. So this time, for the first time ever, it's going to be, there's actually no, no one allowed in the building. So there's going to be, um, so, so it's going to be done in digital format. So of course, like the Bengals have the first pick followed by the Redskins, the Lions, the New York Giants, and the Miami Dolphins. So these are all teams that weren't doing very well this season, so it's actually kind of a good thing for them. Now, uh, the thing about tanking is that in the football season works a bit differently from the um, basketball season because uh, the basketball season is sort of formed for you to face every team twice, at least. Uh, so this season kind of – uh, the difficulty progresses, the better uh, the better your performance is the previous season. Oh, so here's going to be yeah. So here it's a little different with tanking because bad numbers don't really guarantee good prospects. But I don't know. This time, sort of everybody everybody's happy. <laughs> so, um, well, this is the, the number like the hot the five hottest players. The first one is Chase Young, who's like an edge uh, edge corner defender, I believe, Ohio State. Now have Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, uh, Jeff Okuda from Ohio State, Derek Brown from Auburn, and of course Joe Burrow from LSU. He's probably going to go. He's he's listed fifth, who's in like the best prospects here, but I think he's going to go number one just because of the importance of a good quarterback, and he's the best quarterback in this draft class. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, he's going to do the announcements from his home in. Uh, I think it's New York and New Jersey. So that's going to be quite interesting. Uh, let's move on to it because we'll come back to it on Thursday when we have a bit more knowledge about it, uh, or a bit more info about it. Um, Alex B, something that you tagged up for us. The Last Dance. What an awesome, awesome... It's ESPN made. What an awesome documentary series. Tell us, has it lived up to your expectations and tell us a bit about it. Uh, it has. So I've only seen the first episode, but it's kind of like, so the show, uh, it dives into specifically the 87-88 season with the Bulls. So 97-98. Uh, of course, the Bulls. So the first episode, it kind of goes, it shows Michael's path up to that point. So sort of like some of the, uh, for so for that season, first of all, the Bulls granted 
full on access to like all the cameras, all the journalists that could go anywhere, film anything. And it was just showing like the, the attitudes that started to develop because over five years of just winning championships, when you're so far ahead of like any other team, there's obviously there, there's going to be people whose attitudes are sort of like conflicting. There's Michael Jordan. There's like the owner who knows that he needs Michael Jordan to succeed, but he doesn't like Michael Jordan because he's, you know, he's not the nicest guy if you know anything about him. Yeah. So it's no, it definitely shows like a very interesting side of the Chicago Bulls. Otherwise a phenomenal team. There's, there's one funny bit, really, it is a funny bit, but when, um, because Chicago had a, a very bad reputation of being called the, was it the... Uh, the cocaine bus, or, or the cocaine train, something like that. Cocaine train, carousel, cocaine because, train. Because that's what it was, the team before, and the documentary shows that, the team before Michael Jordan got there was, well, it's sort of, it's similar to what the Cleveland Cavaliers were before LeBron got there. It was sort of like a team that's got a losing record, like the... People in Chicago didn't really care about the Bulls. They cared about, like, the Cubs and, like, all those other Chicago teams, but not the Bulls. So when Michael came by himself as 19-year-old rookie, he kind of changed all of that. It's, it's amazing to see how it goes on. And then, like, when, he, when he's a, a rookie and he's, like, the story, I mean, it's so funny where he's going along and he's knocking on the doors to see where everyone is because he wants to go practice. And uh, he hears right. all, like, describe, Alex, you can describe it better than me. So he knocks on one door, they open it, he walks in and... Uh, he walked in and uh, he described that pretty much his entire team was partying in this hotel room. And there was like, there was the lines of cocaine. There was like the weed smokers. There was like the guys, I don't know, with like all the prostitutes and whatnot. And he, uh, he so he left on the grounds that if the FBI were to raid the Chicago Bulls hotel room, he would go down for all of that. And he didn't want that. So he just went to train in the court. And that's kind of like, that's kind of been the whole story of Michael Jordan and the team when he first got there. After a while, sort of the management realized that they needed to get like players who actually want to, who want to play and win, like Scottie Pippen and like Dennis Rodman. It was interesting that, uh, you know, Michael Jordan was considered to be too small to be any good, but it was his athleticism and his heart and his like drive really brought him on. Uh, one person that I was actually surprised, I'd actually forgotten. I'd forgotten that he played with that great Chicago team. And I, I, I don't know why, because I, I met him, Tony Kukoc. Right. And he played. And I saw him walking. I was going, wait, that's Tony Kukoc. Because I met him quite a few times. I was actually at a yeah. gala's with him. And uh, I, I don't know if he's still in America. He was living there the last time I heard. Because um, he used to come home sometimes to, for the summer to split or come back for certain events. Uh, when, like, they, Drajan Petrovic, we had his um, memorial in Shimnik, he came back for it. Just how good, Alex, was that Chicago Bulls team? Uh, well, it eventually became, like, almost unbeatable. It became, like, uh, at the sort of the point where this documentary was made. Uh, before that, well, that team, they won three championships in a row. After that, they came back and won two again, all in the span of five years. So, uh, six, sorry. But, yeah, so, like, that's cr- a crazy amount of championships. They just locked down the team. The, um, the NBA for a decade. Well, like the other, the other thing I want to mention that uh, in Michael Jordan's uh, draft class, uh, so he went number three after um, went after Hakeem Olajuwon, who was an All Star center, and after Sam Bowie, who went to the Portland Trailblazers, and of course, and he went number third to the Chicago Bulls. 
Uh, all I'm, the point I'm trying to offer you here is that I would hate to be the management for the Portland Trailblazers in this situation because they took Sam Bowie, who I've never heard of him. Like, I don't think of any basketball fan over Michael Jordan, who was he was actually one of the hottest um, rookies at the time. Yeah. But this is what happens in drafts or when you're signing a young player. You really don't know. It's a big, big chance because look at Michael Jordan thinking he's a bit too small. He's a bit this, bit this. So many things go against him. But guys have been on the show with us. For example, uh, Alexis Merton. They, he was dropped off teams. He was like rejected from Dino Moscow, where his brother was playing, saying, no, you're too small, too light, you're not strong enough. Zlatan Ibrahimovic with Bosnia. They, his father took him back and said, please let him play for Bosnia. Like, we love it. He's in Sweden, but we want to play for Bosnia. And the Bosnians turned around and said, ah, he's just not, he's just not that good. I forget the exact term was, but he's just not, not that good. And that was it. So he went back to Sweden and then became like, you know, one of the, the top goal scorers of all time, or he still is a, among active players. Okay, are you looking forward to the rest of the series, Alex? Uh, I, I am, yeah. Because the, the, first, uh, the first episode, I don't, I don't think I know enough about the show to, to really talk about it yet. Listen, if you could, if you could have a documentary film made about any other team, the same kind of depth that ESPN have, who would uh, I think you know person, the answer to that. I think you know. The, the historic 2019 championship run of the Toronto Raptors, of course, against all the odds. <laughs> okay. One, one trade that changed the course of basketball forever. Okay. Okay. That, that's, that's great. Double N, um, for you, if you could have any team, if you could have a, a documentary made like as deep as this one, The Last Dance has been made, um, what team would it be about, or what individual would it be about? Kurban Berdish, which is now currently, is now unemployed right now, but yeah. I think it is, it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting to know yeah, more yeah. about Exactly, the, the, the Rubin coaches are one. That would be just amazing, Rostov coaches all. Andrew Flint, very quickly, if, if you could pick a team, what, who would it be about? And for me, I, I would want something about the Utah Jazz, and that is only because of one reason, because I had NBA Jam on the Super Nintendo, and Stockton and Malone were unbeatable in the two-on-two. Okay. Two. Threes <laughs> after threes after threes. I'd want to know how they were so good. On that note, uh, we'll say thank you very much. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Andrew Flint, you take care. Talk to you in a couple of days. Cheers, and Speak to you soon. Alex B., we'll talk to you in a couple of days. Stay safe there in Connecticut. Stay safe. Be sure to stay away from any of those 5G towers. <laughs> oh, God. Tovalen, you take care and stay safe in Rudin. Lucky enough to have weak signal, so I'm safe. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Folks, we're going to go straight away and um, we will talk to you again very, very soon. We'll talk to you on Thursday. So until then, have fun and uh, enjoy your sports.